Welcome to episode 15 of Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee and I am your host. Our subject is discernment and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women and their parents to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Well, last week in episode 14, we dissected Boris Johnson's recent foray from British Prime Minister to wannabe global weatherman, demonstrating both the folly and dishonesty of Johnson's equivocating proclamation about, quote, asking world leaders to take action on coal, cars, cash, and trees to keep alive the prospect of limiting global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees, end quote. We challenged our fellow Christians who mistakenly believe that God's command to subdue the earth demands that we partner with unbelievers to solve a problem that has no genesis in Scripture. And we illustrated how the, quote, climate change movement is an example of one of the patterns of this world to which we, as children of God who do not belong to this world, must not conform. This week, we are going to confront some other popular patterns of this world, in order to discern what is and what is not our responsibility. In so doing, I expect that our icebergs here will begin to notice that the patterns of the world always seem to manifest a particular and consistent pattern. Hmm. So let's begin. Icebergs. We're going to give you an early introduction today. Winnie, Penelope, and Roger are here with us. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) Hey, that hello almost sounded like... Offices of Hypothesis. Had a bit of the popcorn. (laughs) Okay, icebergs. Have you ever had anyone say to you, either directly or by suggestion in social media, in the news, that you need to get out there and change the world? Definitely. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Any examples? Well, I said earlier, Disney. (laughs) (laughs) Change Um, the world. Okay. Well, contrary to popular belief, your job is not to change the world. Did you know this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you know that despite what you hear in the media and from Washington, D.C., despite the claims of popular athletes and entertainers, despite what's encouraged in boardrooms, classrooms, popular books, and even some churches across America, it is arrogance and folly to seek to change the world. Scripture tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and that God declared his creation good. The Bible says the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, on them he has set the world, and that the world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. Psalm 104 testifies that he set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You set a boundary they cannot cross, never again will floodwaters cover the earth. Jesus reminds us in the Lord's Prayer that The kingdom, the power, and the glory belong not to man, but to God forever. The word also says, when the earth quakes and its people live in turmoil, I, meaning the Lord, am the one who keeps its foundations firm. So, if the world is immovable, 
and we have no power to change it, why are some of your friends, and including some Christians, so easily enticed by the prospect of changing the world? We know why the world does it. The world is hostile to God. Change the world means vote to give government and certain politically favored groups power to limit the conditions under which you live in order to alleviate fears that the world has placed in your mind. Change the world, in fact, is a euphemism for give us authority to change your world, especially if your world makes any reference to the necessity of the triune God of Scripture. But why do Christians seek to align themselves with the world in this and other things? If God created the heavens and the earth and declared his creation good and immovable, on what basis can a Christian ever justify aims to change the world? Did God make a mistake? Is he not providentially in control of all things? And what could be more egotistic than presupposing not only our own ability to identify God's supposed errors, but our capacity to fix them? Okay, here's question number two. Icebergs. Have you ever had anyone say to you, again, either directly or by suggestion in social media, that you need to devote your time, your attention, your resources, and even perhaps your liberties in order to save the world? Yes. Yep. Well, we heard that from uh, last week, Old Boris last week. (laughs) Old Boris. (laughs) Okay. Here again, though, our job, you're probably not surprised, is not to save the world. Did you know this? Yes. Did you have an inkling? (laughs) Just a little. Just a little. Like the admonition to change the world, the proposition that we save it once again presupposes that we, as finite, limited, sinful, temporary man, can even know the true condition of the world on our own, apart from God, and that having identified the world's problems according to our own point of view, that we somehow possess the authority and the power to save it. Don't be tricked into schemes to, quote, take action to save what the world has determined needs saving. Don't take your cues from the evening news. And yes, that was supposed to be a rhyme. Intentional rhyme. Don't allow the media, in other words, to establish in your mind what is important and to what you should direct your attention and affections. We must not accept the world's premise. It is not only that the world has no answers. Apart from Christ, the world can't even formulate the questions. The notion, for example, that human beings can change the weather by driving a certain kind of car is silly. Proverbs tells us that God established the limits of the seas, so they cannot spread beyond their boundaries. Only one who underestimates God's power and overestimates his own power would suggest that the Lord's plans could be threatened by man's activity or upended by the flatulence of cows. You're allowed to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) The one who has made a stale laugh was that (laughs) God, the one who has made known, as scripture says, the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come, whose purpose will stand and who will do all that he pleases, is not nervously sitting atop some cloud, hoping that human beings will stop using the resources that God provided for their benefit and revealed for their use. Here's question number three. Have you, icebergs, ever had anyone say to you, either directly or by suggestion in social media, that, quote, we are all in this together, or it takes everyone to solve certain problems that the world has on its own presumed authority identified as your and my priorities? Yes. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
examples? Vaccines. High School, school Musical. musical. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the High School Musical reference? We're all in this together. We know. <laughs> Don't know the rest of the lyrics. Okay. <laughs> no, the chorus though. Well then, you, oh, you can also say Michael Jackson. We are the world. <laughs> yes, in we fact, I use that. Remember, we use oh. that in class. We are yep. The world. Those of you who've taken my classes. Okay, so it won't come as any surprise to you, though, if we are not to aim to change the world, and if we are not to worry about trying to save the world, then by no means, as believers who do not belong to this world, should we ever join with the world in its vainglorious aims to save, change, or control it. From Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament prophets to the New Testament church, Scripture is unrelenting and abundantly clear that God has chosen us as his own and that he has called us out from the world to be distinct, different, holy, and set apart from it. So don't be seduced by feel-good phrasing about globalism. We assume that because technology allows us to instantaneously see something on the other side of the world, or that we can buy or sell something to someone 12,000 miles away, means that we share the same values, hold the same beliefs, and should therefore conduct our affairs under one world government. God addressed this problem at the Tower of Babel, and the scriptures testify that the consolidation of power and delusion among the kingdoms of this world is one of the preconditions to the return of Christ. God has declared enmity between his seed and the seed of Satan, between his children and the children of the devil, who is constantly seeking to seduce the church into commonness with the world. You, on the other hand, who have been called by Christ according to the mercy of his riches, must not align with that effort. When we return, the icebergs are going to speak further to this question of the patterns of this world, how to recognize them and what can be discerned about them. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. Since this week we previously made the introduction of our icebergs, I'm going to ask them to follow me right now into the... Offices of Hypothesis. In order that we might further examine the patterns of this world. Okay, so our hypothesis today is... The patterns of this world all manifest a particular consistent pattern. I'll repeat it. The patterns of this world all manifest a particular consistent pattern. And when we get our clock, we'll say true or false. Who's going uh, I'll go first. True. Roger true. says true. Oh. True. Penelope says true. True before I even got done talking to Roger. <laughs> Sorry. True. Just ran right over me. All true. Right. Winnie? 
true. Okay, true. <laughs> Thank you. That clock is awesome. I love that clock. If true, what is the pattern? And since since it's not false to you, then I'm not going to ask you the second part of the question. All right. I think the pattern is any pattern of belief except uh, Christianity. I would go so far as to say, like, belief in yourself, like belief in man, okay. rather than putting God above you. Okay. Penelope? I think Penelope, Penelope needs extra clock. Let's give her a little extra <laughs> no, clock. That's not going <laughs> to help. Extra clock. That's not going to help. Okay. That's awesome. What else? That It is true, by the way, what you say. I think underlying everything is a very specific bent against Christianity, and it's tied to... So what Roger said is tied to what Winnie said, which is belief in ourself, right? And that's the ultimate question, right? The ultimate question in the Garden of Eden, remember, was when Adam and Eve were created by God, they were created free to obey God and good until Satan enters the equation and says, did God really say, right? And so before Adam and Eve actually get to the tree and picking the fruit, they sin because they decide on their own authority, wait, let me decide whether or not what God says is true, right? Instead of declaring to the snake, God has declared, they say, hmm, let me think on my own autonomy. And this is what Winnie has said and what Roger has said. Winnie's point is that man likes to make himself the center of the world. I will decide whether or not God is real and what he has commanded. And Roger has said that this manifests itself as a direct attack against Christianity, which is one and the same. Because when you're t attacking Christianity, regardless of what particular manifestation of the unbelief takes, it's still self-centered, right? <clears throat> okay. Well, I want you to think about this now. Virtually every agenda pursued by the world is marked by a reversal of roles. Mm. This, is, mm -hmm. this, is, this is what you were saying, um, and this is just a more articulate way of saying it, only because I've written it, but you, <laughs> but you got to it, right? From the global weathermen to the self-appointed doctors— from the censors in the media to the corporate experts who presume, and I say experts, by the way, in quotes, who presume on their own authority to dictate what a man may think, do, say, or even what he must put into his body, the consistent pattern is that the world pretends to be God rather than staying in its lane as a created being. Instead of humbly accepting its proper role as imperfect, finite, created men, the world audaciously ascribes to itself the role of infinite, perfect creator God, whether expressly or implied by the fact that I'm going to make the decision myself. And since man is not, in fact, the creator, what will become of his pretensions? And I'll aim this one at Penelope since she was still on the clock thinking about the other. What are, Penelope, the foreseeable consequences of man's arrogance in thinking that or playing God, thinking that he is or playing God? Um, anything they try it won't work out because they can't they aren't God so like anything like, like I don't know, I don't know how to the reason I say, I say anything with a question mark is because it would appear with a lot of things the world does get away with its power grab right they yeah, but in the end they won't right we know that in the end they won't because what does Psalm what does Psalm 56 18 say <laughs> We should, have, we should have the clock again for that. <laughs> 56, 18. No, this, you wouldn't know by that reference. But you certainly know this. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Right? You're all familiar with that famous 
Yeah. Yeah. Psalm. Well, if that's the case, then we know ultimately someone who presumes to be something that he's not is going to end up failing. Okay, so we've set aside in the first part of the episode that we're not to change the world, right? We're not to save the world or to be conformed to the patterns of this world. That being the case, how then shall we live? What is our duty? To To speak the truth. Yeah, and to glorify God. Actually, both of those are true. (laughs) I I have an interim comment before you answer. This observation about the world's obsession with global warming or climate change, Mm -hmm. while human beings possess neither the authority nor the capability to change, prevent change, or to re-identify God's creation according to his own whims and wishes— There is clear and convincing evidence that the climate of the earth is going to change rather significantly and that this coming change is directly and verifiably attributable to man's conduct and his activities. Right? I think you know where I'm leaning. This climate change will not come about from our driving the wrong cars or using the wrong resources. The world will not be destroyed by our refusal to mask the image of God or our unwillingness to inject our bodies with toxins. The change of which I speak cannot be mitigated in the slightest even were the entire population of the world to operate on windmills and waterfalls while driving electric cars and standing six feet away from others while lining up for their umpteenth booster shot. No, the change to which I refer is the final purifying change promised by God as judgment for man's rebellion. The one who destroyed and rearranged the face of the planet in the flood promises to destroy the earth again, this time by what? Fire. 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 And to establish a new heaven and a new earth. So let's go to that scripture where we support our arguments, because we don't believe in any naked arguments. We clothe all of our assertions, right? All right, so Second Peter 3 is where we are focusing our attention. And um, Winnie, if you wouldn't mind reading the first part of that passage, beginning at verse 3, 2 Peter 3, and why don't you go from 3 through verse 7, please. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heaven came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged. By, By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Thank you. So let me stop for a second and reread portions of this beginning at verse 7 because the emphasis is warranted by the same word this is the same word that brought about the destruction of the world and the flood the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire 
being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. Consider that, even the elements um, will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, that to me sounds like a little bit of a climate change, don't, don't yeah, you think? I agree. <laughs> and while there's yeah, nothing... more than a climate, though. Yeah. More than the climate will change. Yeah, that's that. talk about global warming, <laughs> right? That's the real global warming. And while there's nothing we can do to prevent or mitigate this coming change, which is, as we've just discussed, the only real climate change, we can, by the grace of God, allow the one to whom we must give account to change our hearts and minds. So, getting back to the initial question that I asked uh, when we got back into this Offices of Hypothesis, between the flood that was and the fire that is to come, what is our duty? And as you answer that, or as you think through it, let's continue in Peter, 2 Peter 3, picking up at verse 11, and um, Penelope, I think you have that. Mm -hmm. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Thank you. And Roger, could you pick up and read from 14 through 16? Yes. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. And I'll conclude first by going back to verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He finishes with this. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. So what is our duty? To glorify God. and Yeah, what's the Westminster Catechism say? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's a great way to go into our commercial break. When we return, we will take a question from someone outside the studio. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I am, of course, your host, who at this point in the program always reminds you to post questions on now Discord or to email us at questions at icebergs.snowflakes.com if you would like to call into the program 
since that worked on last week's episode. Or for the purpose of participating and asking uh, maybe a penguin's goalhorn-worthy question live to tape. Maybe it's because the penguins kind of stink that I can't get that, that word out anymore. I'm a disgruntled Penguins fan. <laughs> Very disappointed. Sounds kind of like offices of hypothesis. All right. So um, while we are away, got a very good question, and I may, I may trip over how I say it, but I think you'll get the point of this because I'm sure that there are some who are listening to this program have the same question, and it's and I'm going to say it because it's. Um, it gives me the opportunity to make clear that you don't misunderstand what we're saying. So the question was something like this, and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, if we're not to save, change, or to uh, join together with the world uh, in these efforts, are you then saying that we should take a hands-off approach? The answer is clearly no. Uh, it's, it's very important that anyone who's listening to this episode or this program not misunderstand that when I say that we are not to save the world and we are not to change the world because that's not our lane, that does not mean that we're not to focus on the things that God would have us focus on. But I'll ask, before I give a definitive answer, I want to ask the, the icebergs here again, and this is a refrain from before we went to commercial, what is the principal duty of men and women created the image of God? To be set apart from the world and to glorify God and all that we do. Yes, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So there's nothing in glorifying God and enjoying forever that says we shouldn't. God is not saying, and I'm not saying, that we should therefore destroy or try to destroy. My, my, my premise is that we cannot destroy ultimately what God has created. We might be able to create little skirmishes and little brush fires here and there, but we're not going to destroy the earth in the way that the left would have us believe that if we don't change our behavior and give power to them, that the entire globe is going to uh, be a disaster, right? That I, there's, no, there's no point in scripture that um, backs that up, and there's no point in the mere, <laughs> if you could look at it even humanly speaking, for human beings to be able to destroy a globe that they can't even predict the weather about tomorrow, and they certainly can't stop a weather storm, right? If you can't stop a tornado from coming, how are you going to change the, the, the temperature and the climate of the entire earth? But that does not mean, and I'm not saying that we don't have a, a duty to act in a way that is giving glory to God. So therefore, to do something destructive just for the sake of destroying it would obviously be sin, right? Because it is God's creation. My point is that when people say that they want to save the world, they are presuming that the world is within their control and always going along with that and changing the world, likewise. Always going along with that is this belief, whether it's expressed or whether it's implied, that we must give up certain things to them to accomplish that. So you say something that sounds, on the surface, very reasonable. Well, of course, we want to protect. It's like saying, secure your home, right? Well, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. going to put locks on my doors or set an alarm system or have a dog, right? Um, I'm going to mow my lawn. I'm going to trim the bushes, and you want to keep the house looking good, right? This is, this is how we— Get that hedge of protection to keep Satan out. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we glorify God in the, in the fact that we think God's thoughts after him, and we are orderly because God is orderly, right? And so naturally, we are going to care for the things that God has given us. 
But that is a far different thing than abiding by the world's premise, which says, in reality, see, in reality, they, they attempt to deceive people by taking advantage of the fact that they know that Christians and, and anybody who has a sense of um, God's creation in them naturally actually wants to take care of these things that God has created. And so they subdue that interest and then they pervert it because this is always what Satan does. He corrupts it by saying, therefore, in order to, quote, you know, fill in the blank, save the world, change the world, you have to do these things. And these things always involve giving up your liberty, your sovereignty, your money, right, the economy, your power, all of these things to another man as if he is able or she or they in a group are able to accomplish that for you. And that's the important distinction that we're making. When we say it is not our job to change or to save the world, our point is that we're not, and at one point, if you go back in the episode, you can hear me saying that apart from Christ, we can't even identify the question, right? The world has defined a problem that doesn't exist in order that they can take advantage of a human being's natural inclinations to want to care for the things that God has created and to distort it and to corrupt it and to say, you must be subservient to me and my views and give up all and, and have your money redistributed right throughout the globe. So it's, all, it's, it's what Satan always does. He corrupts and perverts something natural and good. It kind of reminds me of what God says about taking care of the poor, right? Like God tells us that we are to give to the poor and take care of them. But he doesn't tell. He doesn't say that that's the government's job to come in and say, take the people's money and take a little bit off the top and then give some to the poor and who knows do what they're going to do with the rest. That's a really good point, Roger, because Scripture, with respect to poverty, Scripture says that we are to love the poor, to care for the poor, and to show justice neither for nor against the poor. And yet the world would say... They, they would treat it much differently. The world would, would, number one, make it seem like we are to give favor to the poor, favoritism to the poor, right? God says, no, we're to make no distinction, right? Mm-hmm. Whether a man is rich or poor, it's about what's in his heart, right? But the world will take that and they will manipulate it and corrupt it and act as if not only are we to favor poor, but we are to let the government be the determining entity or authority in deciding that, which again means taking what you have in order to make it appear as if I'm giving to the poor, which is really not what they're doing. It's to give you, it's, it's to take your power so that they can decide, but they're taking advantage of your good faith. And again, the natural inclinations that God has given even to sinful man to want to care for another human being, right? That sense of love and justice that God puts in us, it is God-given, but man corrupts it and says, okay, I'm going to take this idea of God, of loving and caring for the poor, I'm going to corrupt it. Yes, and so you're right. In the same way, they do this with respect to the concept of stewardship is abused, and make and <laughs> stewardship to the world is, we only accept the kind of stewardship that means you give power to us to accomplish these things, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That that clarify? Yeah. Anything else to add, Icebergs? Nope. Not, <laughs> All righty then. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. 
And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Kukaji, and you have been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.